light of infinite. The title of this is a wink to my friend, the holy soul, Fabian. His Dvar Torahs usually involve fire, heavy metal references, spirit animals, and power that exists within each element by the Shefa, the flow of the Shekhinah. So naturally, when I thought about what might be a good title for this week, which is all about justice, I felt Metallica's album and Justice for All calling to me. Much love to the special soul that is Fabian. Now to the words behind the title. So much anxiety is brought on when we think that we won't receive what is just. Of course, everyone's view of their own justice looks different. But the idea of not receiving what you think you deserve, whether from a person or the universe, creates a division and distancing in one's relationship to others, to oneself, and even to life itself. Justice brings peace, but only when judgment, gevura, is balanced with the proper amount of mercy, chesed. When this is done right, it creates harmony, tiferet. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last book is titled Justice, Justice Thou Shalt Pursue, a life's work fighting for a more perfect union. Aptly pulling the words from this week's parasha, Shoftim, which in Hebrew means judges. RGB, as many called her, was loved and celebrated for the work she did as a lawyer and an activist in trying to create a broader notion of justice in America. A Jew herself, her work clearly drew from the fundamental Torah value we find in this Pusset, Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof. Justice, justice, shall you pursue, that you may live and possess the land the Lord, your God, is giving you. Rashi says that justice in this Pasuk refers specifically to appointing worthy judges, and explains that the institution of justice will give the Jewish nation the merit to stay alive and settle their promised land. As a people, we literally reach our promised land by virtue of our commitment to justice. But beyond the story of the Jews in the desert, the Pasuk teaches how each of us can reach our own promised land and find personal redemption. Every day we see and hear people fighting, building walls with their words, forming judgments towards other people that change the way they can or can't exist together. But when people put aside their egos and speak peace into existence, choosing to extend humane compassion to each other, then they can reunite and coexist in peace. And it's only through peace that blessings flow. The Zohar teaches, by the way one handles anger, one can recognize who one is. If a person guards one's soul at a moment of anger and does not allow it, one's soul to be torn from its place, this is a person who is as they should be. This is a complete person. Shalom means peace and shalem means complete. So we are only complete when we are at peace. And peace only comes from mindful joy, which chooses not to make space for anger. As we reveal the divine light that is so often concealed in this world in anticipation for the final redemption, we have to pursue justice and as much peace as we can. We have to choose to be slow to anger and quick to showing love and giving of oneself. As it says in Isaiah, Open up, O gates, that a righteous nation may enter. One lesson to be learned from Ginsburg through a relationship with her colleague on the Supreme Court, Antonin Scalia, is how they exemplified putting aside their egos and building a personal relationship based on humane compassion, even when they disagreed vehemently in their views on justice. The two Supreme Court justices' views could not be more at odds, but their respect for each other remained intact for decades. Just hearing how they would disagree but talk through their disagreements is inspiring. When Ginsburg would hear Scalia finding many faults in his views, she would still say he said it in an absolute captivating way. And when the tables were turned, he would share what's not to like except her views on the law. When Ginsburg wrote the High Court's majority opinion striking down the Virginia Military Institute's ban on admitting women, Scalia showed her a draft of his dissent. She recalls it was a zinger filled with disdainful footnotes but that she was glad to have the extra days to adjust her court's opinion. My final draft was much more improved thanks to Justice Scalia's searing criticism. The reason people praise their relationship so much 
is that it seems, as a people, we are moving further and further away from such a rapport. The Talmud is based on opposing opinions and respect. For 200 CE to 500 CE, after the redaction and editing of the Mishnah, later sages called Omaraim and their students discussed and analyzed the Mishnah. Their questions, discussions, and solutions compromise the Talmud. If you look at a page of the Talmud, on either side of the ancient arguments of the sages, you find more opposing views. Those of the medieval commentators, Rashi on the right, and Tosfot on the left. Judaism, from antiquity to now, is steeped in the teachings and the process of learning in the Talmud. Literally thousands and thousands of Jews and lots of law students are lovingly arguing with each other at this exact moment. Using the Talmud as the catalyst for diving deeper into endless hypothetical scenarios connected to the morality of Jewish law and ritual. But as a modern Western culture and people, we seem to be moving away from this embrace of respectful conflict. Something Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff discuss in their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. Their description of this book hits the nail on the head of how surrounding oneself with people that share your view is detrimental to self-growth. The book is a timely investigation into the new safety culture on campus and dangers it possesses for free speech, mental health, education, and ultimately democracy. The generation now coming of age has been taught three great untruths. Their feelings are always right, they should avoid pain and discomfort, and they should look for the faults in others and not themselves. These three great untruths are a part of a larger philosophy that sees young people as fragile creatures who must be protected and supervised by adults. But despite the good intentions of the adults who impart on them, the great untruths are harming kids by teaching them the opposite of ancient wisdom and the opposite of modern psychological findings on grit, growth, and anti-fragility. In a TED Talk that is just as relevant today as it was during the Biden-Trump election, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs speaks on how we can face the future without fear together. He begins by saying, we've seen divisive elections, divided societies, and the growth of extremism, all fueled by anxiety and uncertainty. Is there something we can do, each of us, to be able to face the truth without fear? He goes on to say that it's the people not like us that make us grow, and shares three specific ways we can move from the politics of me to the politics of all of us together. The part that stuck out to me, especially keeping in mind the mission of Light of Infinite and Don't Block Your Blessings, is his simple suggestion, which he says might just change your life, and it might just help to begin to change the world. Do a search and replace operation on the text of your mind, and whenever you encounter the word self, substitute it for the word other. So instead of self-help, other help. Instead of self-esteem, other esteem. And if you do that, you will begin to feel the power of what, for him, is one of the most moving sentences in all of religious literature. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We can face any future without fear, so long as we know we will not face it alone. So for the sake of our future, you, together, let us strengthen the future us. These lessons are all steeped in justice, peace, and focusing on others to instill justice and peace. The danger is when we focus on ourselves and our own needs at the detriment of others, which is always in reality a detriment to ourselves. This is all to illustrate that, as we say in hip-hop, there's rules to this. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs articulates that Devarim as a whole establishes the Jewish nation as a moral and just society. Deuteronomy is in essence a program for each creation of a moral society in which righteousness is the responsibility of all. The good society was to be within the limits of the world as it was 30, 
three centuries ago, an all-inclusive if not an entirely egalitarian one. Time and again, we are told that society must embrace the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the Levite, people without independent status or means. It is to be one nation under God. Many of us have heard the saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Not all of us hear this phrase think about the song, Absolutely, by MF Doom, play in their heads, but I often do. The way the Torah instructs justice is in a way to ensure that no one individual can claim absolute power. The root of the statement was by Lord Acton. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. was borrowed by William Pitt, the elder British Prime Minister, who had expressed the idea differently. In 1770, Pitt said to the House of Lords, Unlimited power is apt to corrupt the minds of those who possess it. In this book of Dvarim, we are reminded why the events that took place in the book of Shemot were necessary. The lessons learned as slaves in Egypt, as people without justice. Peace or any sort of rights instilled in us what it means to be other, to be stranger in a strange land. This experience creates the foundational empathy that informs the Torah's vision of good society based on collective responsibility. As a massive fan of Justin Bieber's music, I can't pretend that writing a Dvar on Justice doesn't make me think of his sixth studio album. His intentions with that album was his attempt to play a small part in discussing what justice looks like in the year following the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many more black Americans, which fueled protests and widespread conversations about systemic racism. Bieber expressed that, I know that I cannot simply solve injustice by making music, but I do know that if we all do our part, by using our gifts to serve this planet and each other, that we are that much closer to being united. I want to continue the conversation of what justice looks like so we can continue to heal. As we covered in Parsha Devarim, Rabbi Nachman teaches that in order to experience a taste of Oraganus, the hidden light, one must elevate the aspect of fear to its source. Fear is elevated with the aspect of judgment as it's written in Proverbs. Through judgment, the king will establish his land. And land corresponds to fear, as it says in Tehillim, the earth feared, and later he conducted his affairs with judgment. One must judge and evaluate all their actions so that they can be elevated on high. In this world, we see that when judgment is enacted, others respect the righteousness of the law and fear it, awoken by their own desire to not fall victim to similar judgments. Jumping earlier to Tehillim and further into the lessons of the Zamra, it says, And yet, in a little bit, the sinner is gone. You will contemplate his place, but he will not be there. This correlates to the famous lesson in Pirkei Avot, Find yourself a teacher, acquire yourself a friend, and judge every person favorably. This practice of rectifying judgment is done by finding the good points in yourself. When you do that, you take away the bad from yourself and others, and when that becomes second nature, you can reach a level where you don't see bad. This is what it means when it says in Tehillim, the sinner is gone, as you have brought yourself and the other to a place of kulotov, all good. A world without justice is a fractured world. A world with justice and peace as its focus is a world with revealed blessing, a complete world. As mentioned above, shalom means peace and shalem means complete. So we are only complete when we are at peace. As the saying is so often shouted, no justice, no peace. I pray for the revelation of the final redemption, a time of Kulo Shabbat, complete Shabbat. Our sages refer to this as the messianic era, when darkness will be fully transformed to light when justice and peace will be fully realized. Dive in deeper.